Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. Hey everyone, it's David jumping in to say hello and wowzers. Nevada finally got those election results and Joe Lombardo is our new governor. Cisco Aguilar won the secretary of state race. And yes, CCM will continue to be our United States senator. We'll be talking about all of this very soon. But in the meantime, you deserve a reward. So here's a gem of a conversation led by co-host Vogue Robinson about a not-so-family-friendly special place in Las Vegas. But like always, you know, it does depend on your family. So take it away, Vogue. If you need something else to do besides refresh election updates... Maybe a visit to the Erotic Heritage Museum is just what you need. It's not quite family-friendly, but it's very intriguing, complete with a wedding chapel, consummation beds, and legit scientific artifacts from around the world. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I sit down with Dr. Victoria Hartman from the Erotic Heritage Museum, and we talk about how the museum works to destigmatize sex in Sin City. It's Monday, October 14th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Dr. Victoria, hello and welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very grateful. Yes, of course. I've been wanting to talk about this subject for a long time. So (laughs) how long has the Erotic Heritage Museum been open and what's its primary function? So the museum originally began its life in about 2008 when Mm. it started to be assembled by uh, Harry Money, who is the owner of the Deja Vu chain of adult exotic dancing clubs, etc., and Dr. Ted Mechelvena, who is, or was, I'm sorry, the president of the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. They'd known each other quite a long time. Dr. Ted often testified in obscenity cases, and that's how he and Harry met. Its primary function, originally, it was to document the dynamics of the sexual revolution here in the United States in the 60s and late 70s. Its mission shifted when Dr. Ted and Harry went their separate ways and Harry decided that he was going to take on the museum himself. And I had already worked for him for a couple of years and of course had done my graduate work there as an intern starting in late 09. And he then approached me and said, what do you think we should do at the museum? And I was so busy with other things that I said, I don't have the time to worry about it. (laughs) And 
Yeah. And, and the next thing I knew, I was got a call from the corporate office who's, you know, it's like, Harry wants you to go pick up your keys. You're the director now. And I went, well, okay. And so, uh, it's mission. Then he, he asked me that question again, what should we do? And I said, well, I'm a sexologist and that's my training. I have two doctor degrees, both in, in human sexuality. One has more of a clinical focus. One has more of a research focus. And I love science and art. And my answer to him was, well, first of all, I don't think it should be myopic in its approach. The, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s is incredibly myopic. And sexuality is broad and diverse. And there's a lot of science involved. And sexologists look at sexuality through the lens of every discipline, mm -hmm. whether it be social, scientific, artistic, what have you. And I said, I think that's what the mission of the museum should be, is to examine and preserve our erotic heritage, because that's our, our name. And that's what we went with. And so that's been our mission since 2014. Nice. What are the common misconceptions you hear from visitors? They come in looking for live sex shows. Oh, my gosh. All the time. All the time. They cut. Well, and in fairness to the guests who come in, it's not as bad as it used to be because now since 14, we have sort of an online track record that people can look up and see that we actually are stewards of the pre preservation and archiving and so forth. And I don't know that that was communicated adequately prior to 2014. So it's not as bad as it used to be. I would say though, in, in defense of our guests, our exterior looks like a CD strip club and it's covered in neon and, you know, naked boys singing and puppetry of the penis and so forth. And so people can get an idea of what it looks, plus the area we're in. And so that's what they come in initially. And, and a lot of it is, you know, uh, where's the live sex show, which, and a lot of people don't know that any kind of sex work is illegal in Clark County, right? And mm. whether it's, similar to the kind of sex work that's legalized in Oregon, where two performers can actually work together, but they can't work with a client. Um, here, sex work is completely illegal in Clark County. You have to go to Nye County and other counties for that. And when we tell them, no, actually, there's no live sex show here, but we're full of science and art, why don't you give it a shot? And they go through the museum and come out, and they're astonished often that we are a science and art museum. We have legitimate scientific artifacts inside. We have art from Picasso in the museum. And a lot of people don't think that a, a sex museum could take itself so seriously. So that's the misconception most of the time. And I would have to say that is also in a broader scale, the problem Las Vegas has is there's this impression that it's sort of this free for all here. And most of us Las Vegans in surrounding areas we deal with that all day long. So we come home and read our books and watch our TV shows and hang out quietly with each other at the coffee shop. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's exactly what I was going to ask you is like, do you think that, that the misconceptions are made worse by being in Las Vegas? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of people, when they're coming from their hometown, you know, you could maybe not Portland, Oregon or Los Angeles or New York, but say if you're coming from a place like, Salt Lake City or anywhere else where there's, you know, a heavy influence of conservative values, 
they their their subversive culture is what we do normally here all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's not that big of a deal to us. So those of us who are locals are very chill, low key because that subversion is commercialized here. Right. So we don't actually indulge in mu- as much in subversive culture because it's marketed in Las Vegas as something you come to Las Vegas for, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Vegas. I love you so. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's one of those things, yeah. Our economy is so interesting. <laughs> hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. I want to get back into the museum. What's your favorite exhibit or artifact at the museum? One of the things that I noticed as a scholar was the lack of diversity in the materials that exist. Mm. They're very Anglo-Saxon, Roman, Greco. Um, that's largely what materials are available. There was a lot of destruction uh, by the Christians, especially of sexual artifacts on numerous continents. And so we've only kind of learned sexology is very heavily steeped in Roman and Greek sexual culture. And history is told by the victors. And so here we are. Yeah, exactly right. History is told by the victors. And so the curator at the time said, look, I want to do something a little different. And I'm going to go on the hunt and find materials from other places. And she found artifacts from the Fawn people in Benin, Africa, and they have fertility phalluses and did a whole, that's actually the center when you come upstairs is these fertility phalluses and the history of Fawn people and the way in which they looked at fertility, sexuality, the bountiful harvest, it sort of, it was all tied together, which I thought was really incredibly beautiful because Roman Greco art often it either romanticizes sexuality or it denigrates it in a way because of those competing forces between Christianity and the Moors at the time when you mm-hmm. had like Roman emperors and so forth. Whereas the materials that came out of Benin were very tied to nature mm. and the seasons and our natural bodies, which was so far removed from what you see in some of the materials that we get from the Roman Greco era. So I thought that was just a fantastic contrast and something that was sorely needed in the museum. And she did it beautifully. I didn't have a hand in it at all. So we made it that the first, that's the first exhibit when you see, when you go upstairs where all of our artifacts are, because it's just, it's just so wonderful. Ooh, okay. Okay, cool. 
<laughs> so the other thing I noticed too was that there is a wedding chapel in, in the museum. And I noticed that there are beds like on the left and right side because I did the online tour. Are those beds used in the ceremonies or are they for decoration? Well, that depends on the guest. If they are used to consummate, then generally that's something they book privately after business hours. What? But it hasn't happened for a very, very long time. That was earlier on when we were a lot more gimmicky and uh, I'm the officiant. And so on site, at least until December, I'm still trying to decide if I want to renew my officiant's license. But I would have to say that has happened and hasn't in a very long, long, long time. Most people come in for sort of like the quickie $99 wedding and uh, it's a fun thing to do. And, and a lot of people just don't know how, wh how do you get married at a sex museum? You know, I mean, so that's one way yes. to start. But for most part, it's, it's decoration. Uh, it hasn't been used in that way in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> so okay. how do people react to the content in the museum? It varies. So we have most of our political exhibits right when you walk through the door. And Mr. Mone doesn't really tell me how to do my job. He hasn't in many years. However, when we were reopening, he said, hey, I want to add this and this and this and in this way. And one of them was to be politically offensive when you walk through the door. Mm. And I was a little, I, well, I was more than iffy about it because I said, well, if we're documenting and preserving, I'm he's like, trust me on this one. And I went, okay. And what's interesting about people's reactions when they first walk in, they're, they're either offended or not sure if they should be. And I learned over the course of years that that had an interesting effect because, I mean, if they were super offended, a lot of times they'll turn around and walk out. That generally doesn't happen, though. I was curious, yeah, if there are stories right. of like specific people who were just so deeply Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, people have like gone in, turned around, yelled at us, and, and walked out the door. And that's okay. Most of the time, they walk in, they're not sure how to react. Some start off being offended, but then catch themselves and go, okay, let me see what else is here. And the reason I think that he was that Mr. Money was right and why that's effective is it starts people thinking the minute they walk in the door. Hmm. Right? It's not a timid experience, but it's also not one that's so frightening that you get we've tried to strike this balance of challenging people, but not making them feel unsafe. And so walking in and having that in their face, and we frame it in a way that presents it as the First Amendment, political parity, and how we hold our elected officials accountable, especially around sexuality. Mm -hmm. They then, if they allow themselves the two minutes, maybe even not a minute to sort of catch their breath, then they can, we find that they walk through the museum and take their time because once they're past that, that emotional reaction, they start to look at what else is there. It stirs curiosity. Yeah. And that's definitely how I felt for during the, the online tour. I'm, I'm very appreciative that it, it's a free online tour too, but. Oh, good. I was actually thinking about taking that down. So I thank you for the feedback. I'll yeah. leave it up. I noticed there's a lot of history about destigmatizing sexuality. Mm. Why is that important? That is a fantastic question. So 
a brief background. I originally started my career going into therapy. Mm. I'm a trained therapist and I worked at a rape crisis center for about four and a half years as a, a, a co-facilitator of group therapy sessions. And one of the things that I found not only in my work when I was working with groups, but also once I went on and I was a, a private practitioner was one the universal thing that I found was sexual shame. And when you have sexual shame, we can't communicate with each other about what our needs are. Mm. So we start off our intimate relationships hiding significant parts of ourselves. Now, how can any of us truly experience intimacy of any kind of depth if we are hiding parts of ourselves because we're afraid that other person won't accept us because somehow on an intimate level, deep in ourselves, we don't accept ourselves. And it it's the cause of a lot of trouble in relationships. One could argue that it causes, it has a significant impact on how long relationships last, mm. how we even get started, dating culture. I mean, it just, it has this, these tentacle effects yeah. sexual shame does. And so I try to have the museum be a place where we not only point it out and highlight it, but try to fight it. Why do you think that Vegas is the perfect place for the Erotic Heritage Museum? I think that the that Vegas and the Erotic Heritage Museum go well together because Vegas gives us certain leeway where perhaps if we were in there's a, a sex museum in New York. There's a sex museum into my, I've actually been to the one in Miami. It's gorgeous. Hmm. Vegas though is unique in the sense that we can, people have certain expectations about Vegas and we can lean into that and come at people from multiple angles. So we can entertain, we hmm. can titillate, we hmm. can also educate. And I don't know that that's necessarily possible anywhere else. Hmm simply because of what Vegas is and who we are here. That's why I think our approach fits Vegas and Vegas fits our approach. Nice. Well, Dr. Victoria Hartman, thank you so much again for being on CityCast Las Vegas. I look forward to having more sex talks with you. You know what? I'd love to come back. Thank you for the invitation and please come and visit us really soon. Will do. Now for some news before you go. What do you have for us, David? Well, Vogue, five o'clock this afternoon is the deadline for getting your mail-in ballot signature cured if you have a defect with signature or other technicalities. You could go on to the county election department website to check if you're all good, or maybe go down to their office and say, show me, show me, show me how to get cured. And a disheartening fact from the Nevada Hospital Association who tells us that pediatric hospital beds in Las Vegas and across the state are full. And that includes pediatric intensive care, too. The respiratory sickness RSV is driving that rise, part of a nationwide surge. So keep an eye on your kiddos, Las Vegas. They're our future. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you end up visiting the Erotic Heritage Museum, tell them we sent you and then take pictures in front of the building. <laughs> and once again, I'm asking you to rate the show, leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon.
now I feel like we should have a statue of sexual liberty like <laughs> standing. I want one now. <laughs> I want one like, right in the parking lot. Like, give us your poor, give us your hungry. It's like, give us your horny, give us your. That's right. <laughs> we have yep. to write the statement for this. <laughs> exactly. I told. Okay, I'm gonna have to start working on a statue now. You stirred. You stirred motivation in me. Now I have to put a statue of sexual liberty in the parking lot. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I had never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> 